0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Katherine Rimshaw about the importance of effective listening and decision-making in successful and impactful leadership. Catherine M. Rimsha, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast.
1: Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here today.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited too. Um, tis the season for busyness, and I know everyone's running around like chickens with their heads cut off, um, just trying to uh, navigate this holiday season amidst a pandemic. Um, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to to take the opportunity to, to meet with me and to have a nice discussion. Today we're going to be focusing on leadership. I'm excited to have a chance to talk with you about the insights from your TED Talk and from your recent book as we get to explore how to be more a, a more impactful leader together. In part that comes from listening, um, but I, I su- suspect you have many other really great insights to share with listeners today. Dr. Catherine M. Rimshaw is a lecturer at the University of Massachusetts, Lowell, where she teaches courses on leadership. Catherine spent over 10 years in marketing and communications leadership roles, ranging from marketing healthcare conferences to writing speeches on payment card security. She now leads learning and development for a software company. Between her academic and professional experience, she has taught thousands of courses on leadership, feedback, and career to global leaders across an array of industries. Her TEDx talk, Want to Become a Better Leader, Here's How, Just Listen, focuses on the importance of listening to leadership. She holds a Master's of Science in Leadership and a Doctorate of Education with a focus in organizational leadership from Northwestern University in Boston. Uh, Again, what a tremendous background. I love that you have that um, scholar-practitioner orientation and focus. That's something that resonates with me um, in the work that I do as well. And it's always a pleasure to be able to talk with colleagues about leadership. Uh, Before we really launch into the conversation, anything else you would like to share by way of personal background or context for listeners?
1: As you mentioned, I've had a bit of a dynamic background in both taking the academic route and getting the doctorate degree, but then at the same time, Kind of working my ranks up through the own, my own corporate ladder and focusing, like you said, in marketing and communication industries. Now I'm in software and then writing the book alongside that. So it's been a whirlwind, but it's taught me a lot about myself, my own leadership decisions, and really given me the premise needed to write this book and with the intent of helping others kind of improve their effectiveness both within their personal life and their professional life. So.
0: Wonderful. Well, I think that's that's a noble endeavor. Um, I teach some leadership as well, um, but mostly I teach uh, organizational development and change management, uh, HR, uh, ethics types of courses. And, of course, there's connections between all of those areas. Uh, and doing that in the university space as well as as a consultant going out to organizations is really a lot of fun. And I really – I always like being able to connect the, the theory with practice and being able to bring – bring the real world into the classroom and bring, you know, the academic rigor into uh, the business world and the consulting world. So I think, I think it's a, it can be a challenge, but it's a lot of fun.
1: Most definitely. (laughs) It's a good mix.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we um, launch in, I thought first we can talk uh, just briefly about the core message of your Ted talk uh, because listening is such a vital piece of leadership. And then we can move on into some of the insights from your book a little bit. So tell us, just give us a, an overview, a background to um, uh, what you discussed in your TED Talk and why listening is so important.
1: When I was doing my research, my doctorate degree, I was chatting with somebody at a health system in Mississippi And during the interview, she was talking about the importance of being a great speaker as a leader, which I think most people attribute that to strong leadership of being a great motivator, a great speaker, and that's no surprise to anyone. But as she was kind of chatting through some of her thoughts on that, I was kind of nodding off and just taking notes and trying to get through the process. And then ironically, she called out how important it is for people and leaders specifically to be good listeners, which kind of put me on my toes, because like I said, I had started to kind of nod off and just take the notes and run through the process. And when she talked about that, it struck me because she really discussed about how she was not conscientious of her own leadership listening ability until she took a particular work-related course that really focused on ways one can become a better listener and how that impacts every piece of their life from home to work to their personal relationships. I mean, the list goes on and on. And that struck with me. And when I got the opportunity to do the TEDx talk several years ago, I was thinking, you know, what would make the most sense to discuss? And that interaction with that woman so many years back really came to mind and how listening is such a critical element But the irony of that is when you look at our education system and our curriculums, both at the academic and the undergrad graduate level, going as far back as to elementary school, high school, middle school, et cetera, not many times in our life are we ever taught how to be great listeners. I think in my book, I reflected back on a time that when I was in fifth or sixth grade, we had to do a listening activity. But that's the only time I can remember that I ever gave that any sort of thought. And over the years, since I've been training within the leadership development and feedback world, I always ask that when I deliver workshops, you know, how many people here have ever taken a course on how to be a good listener? And every so often, I'll have an international student say that they have, which I find it so... Interesting that here in the United States, we don't really have that in our curriculums, but yet globally they do. And yet even talking about listening as a leadership skill seems still a bit foreign to people and still an an attribute that we are not even great at training in and around because we're not properly trained to ourselves. So it just makes for an interesting balance.
0: Yeah. And I, and I wonder why that is. I mean, I, I, I imagine part of it's cultural, um, and, you know, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to uh, work much uh, overseas uh, or teach overseas. I know when I've, for example, when I've taught in, in places like um, Southeast Asia or China, um, the culture is such that that uh, the students are there and they, they want to listen to the professor. And it's actually kind of challenging to get them to participate, Um like we try to do here in the U S you know, that's, that's the name of the game is engagement, right? You want to involve um, students or, or the participants in the dot and have a dialogue. Right. And so they, they do it really well where they pay attention, they listen, they take notes, but they, you know, don't always um, engage as much as I would hope uh, when I'm in those settings. On the flip side, you have students here who uh, aren't, you know, as careful or thoughtful about how they listen or pay attention to, to what you're saying. And you have to repeat yourself a whole bunch of times. Um, And I don't know if you've had that experience. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's that cultural element um, or what it might be. Uh, But, but I, I agree. I think ultimately we, we need to get better at being good listeners, like being in the moment, um, being present and listening, not, not sitting there waiting to, you know, just pretending like you're listening, nodding and, and, uh, trying to formulate what you want to say next, but really honestly, just listening and absorbing and, and taking the chance to really understand the person, uh, sitting in front of you that requires a, you know, a vulnerability, it requires empathy. Um, and you know, those aren't always words that, that we use to describe, um, some of the most, uh, uh well-known leaders, you know, that are out there. Um, so so, what do you think the answer is? How, how do we help um, people develop more listening skills and become better leaders?
1: Yeah, I wanted to go back to your point, though. I've had similar experiences when going to APAC, and they will listen. I did quite a few sessions in China at one point, and even now have a lot of students from Japan, and they will listen to every word, and they'll send follow-up notes after the fact, and they'll be able to really reiterate back to me exactly what I talked about in the context, and and it's phenomenal. And I don't see that so much with some of the U.S.-based students, although they do, I think, like you pointed out, listen in terms of getting ready to respond and be the one with the right answer in the room. So it's interesting, especially when you have some not to pick on the U.S. students, um, whether they be academic students or corporate students, compared to that to the rest of the world. But it is an interesting mix. I think where there becomes a level of self-awareness and improvement is a lot of people realize that they aren't great listeners. And I think a lot of people listening to this an hour, probably nodding their heads and half listening and checking email and even caught in that own bucket because everything is so fast paced. And I think even having that level of realization to say, I am not being mindful and my approach to my conversations and being within the moment can be something, like I said, that we all know, but not something that people really take active steps to getting better at, because they can still get by kind of multitasking. And I think that's one thing that even if you think about the last year, I know when I've talked to some of my students and peers and colleagues and considering the nature of the, the COVID environment, that people have had more time at home to think about who they are as people and where they're finding meaning in their life and what things they would change. So I see, like I said, a lot of folks that I work with or interact with getting new jobs or quitting their jobs to pursue kind of more personal interests. And I think even some of them have become aware more of their interactions of how they communicate both in email and text and, you know, virtually, but then also saying like, I'm not a great listener. And I think even having that level of awareness to say, okay, I'm going to be on this video call and I'm just going to focus on this video call might seem like a very simple thing, but I think because we're becoming so hardwired to multitask, that that can be quite a challenge for people to even focus on simply the people on the screen in front of them and turn off email and put the phone in the other room, you know, and lock the dog away if they can or whatever that looks like. And I think it's trying to find those areas or those kind of simple steps you can take in your day to day that you can become better of a listener. And like I said, whether that be in the virtual or even being at home now with um, more family or even communicating to friends differently, just saying to yourself in the moment, am I truly listening? And if your answer to yourself is no in that moment, what do you need to do to redirect and adjust to become more mindful and conscientious of that and starting to self-develop and improve?
0: Yeah, yeah. It really just takes some intentionality and some reflection uh, to recognize you know, where we might be able to, to make some improvements. And then just, I mean, like any, anything else, you set goals and you monitor yourself and you see how you're doing and, and uh, over time you can uh, make some improvements. Uh, And, and, and I think again, in this day and age where we need more emotionally intelligent um, leaders that can demonstrate empathy and, and provide the support that, that, people need, uh, particularly during a, you know, a difficult time, like a pandemic, uh, you can't really do those things unless you're a good listener. Um, you can try to fake it, but people can usually tell the difference and they can see if you're not being sincere. Uh, they, they can tell, um, you know, if you're just going through the motions. And so uh, I, I think that's that's a really, really important point. I, I appreciate you sharing that and, and uh, encourage listeners to check out your your TEDx talk. Um, where, where you go into that in more detail. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Uh, Let's pivot a little bit and talk about your book now. Um, So, obviously, there's so many things that go into trying to be effective as a leader. And I know you talk a lot about um, decision-making and how a, an effective decision-making framework um, can, can really help towards leadership development. Tell me a little bit more about that and, and what types of frameworks you find to be helpful.
1: Great, great question. So in my, um, I've been doing leadership development, studying leadership for years now. And a lot of times people have asked me, you know, what's the secret? How do I become a better leader? And I would always rack my brain with that question of like, how does one really become a better leader? And what does that actually look like? And at one time at work many years ago, I was asked that question and to do a presentation. And in that presentation, I talked about leadership being a choice. And some people kind of looked at me a little bit funny, like how is leadership a choice? Like why would leadership be a decision versus not? And that's where I really started to think about my doctorate research, and then even writing the book of thinking about, okay, the best leaders I've seen have made very conscientious decisions about how they are going to map their careers, reverse engineer them, and really take very conscientious steps to becoming more dynamic in regards to their leadership but also gaining that awareness and feedback and really taking risks and initiative. So after giving that thought over several years and pondering over books and podcasts and Harvard Business Review articles and the gamut of what's out there, I wrote my book because I felt like so many books out there and there were hundreds of brilliant books and brilliant research on leadership. But I was still struck by people saying like, well, I took the course, and I got promoted, but people still don't view me as a leader. And that's where I came up with this concept of like, okay, you can be put into that leadership role. You can you know, pass all the tests and take all the quizzes and read all the articles. But if you're not making decisions to find ways to lead in your day to day, you're never going to be a leader outside of that denoted corporate title that thinks you gives you some sort of level of privilege with this. And being in a leadership development role full time, I was thinking about different models out there about ways people develop and the skills and so many books to focus on the skills, which I think is incredibly valuable and important, but there's a whole other bigger picture that you can work on developing a skill, but if you're not deciding to practice that skill and making conscientious efforts to a point you made earlier on about getting feedback, you're never going to improve as a leader and be a leader, both personally and professionally. So in the in the book, to get into that nitty gritty, that's one thing that I highlight a lot about if you make the decision to lead and you want to become a more effective leader, there's kind of three steps you take in terms of gaining awareness, practicing and evaluation. And that's where I really get into more of that feedback angle, especially as it relates to listening, because like I said, I see it in my own professional and academic life all the time that people think that they're leading, but yet they're never getting the feedback or they're never experimenting and they're never finding ways to challenge themselves outside of the kind of mundane tasks that they're being kind of tasked with every day as a part of their corporate level job. And I think that's where people still need to have a level of resetting what they kind of define as leadership and where they can be leaders within their own lives and professional and personal, like I said,
0: um, both formally and informally. Yeah, well, uh, the, a bunch of really great points you just <laughs> a bunch of really great points you just made. Um, but I'll 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 first pick up on what you just closed with, and that is, and you you said it towards the beginning as well, formal and informal leadership, right? Um, and just because you get promoted into a position where you have a title and you're a leader, you know, and then people say, well, nobody actually views me as a leader. That's because it, it doesn't just automatically happen just because you have a title. Um, you can be very influential and lead others with no title, with no formal position in the hierarchy, and you can have a title and really not be an effective leader at all. Uh, we've we've all seen it many, many times. And what often happens when someone's promoted into those types of roles within the hierarchy is that they, they, they really end up, you know, spending so much of their time putting out fires, um, doing the tactical things, doing, doing the day-to-day things just to, to, to stay afloat. Um, and those things don't get me wrong. I mean, those things are important. If there's a big, a big issue, it needs to be dealt with. Right. But I think oftentimes leaders like formal leaders in a position with a title, they, they slip in to that kind of a role where they're not actually leading anybody. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're, they're putting out fires constantly and they're not doing this, the, 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 the basic consistent things that are necessary to build trust, to develop relationships, to get the most out of your people. Um, and that's, that's when people start to see you as a leader, uh, not just because you can hold a meeting or, you know, because you can run this process or, you know, follow this policy or whatever. And so to your point about like, how, how do we define leadership? I think that's just a really important question for everyone to consider carefully Um, because sometimes the, the, what we see, the examples we see um, in our day-to-day experience as we, you know, look to those around us and we look to those we report to those, you know, even though people are doing the best they can, those aren't always the greatest examples uh, to look to. And we can do better if we're mindful and we're thoughtful and we reflect and we get feedback and we're content. We're continually going through that iterative cycle to learn and grow.
1: hundred percent. And I hear so many people who I can see so much great leadership potential in falling victim to that. Well, my manager doesn't do it that way. And then they even get back into that verbiage of like manager and not their own Kind of leader or person that they aspire to potentially be as you think about kind of moving up in the career path and i always find that so interesting that some folks use that as a crutch almost without having their own kind of independence from those above them and knowing that what they do and how they act as leaders impact not only them themselves but the people below them and the people around them and yet they still like i said they still get stuck in that well the people above me don't do it and that whole like they don't lead by example so why should I? And seeing some of that potential begin to dwindle away because they're stuck in their own mindset or being stuck under somebody else formally, quote unquote, that really doesn't have that leadership gumption that they may and you know might be, get impacted because they're either staying in a job that isn't a great fit and it's impacting them as a leader and how they even view the practice of leadership and it's hindering their own growth, which I think can become then toxic for not only themselves and their thinking, but for those around them too.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we, as we find ourselves in these new roles, uh, there's always a learning curve. And mm-hmm. so we, we're, we're excited, uh, we're, we're ready to hit the ground running. Um, we're learning as we're going, we're, you know, we're building the plane as we're flying it, so to speak. And I think most people in organizations, as, you know, they have this new person who's in a role of formal leadership over them. Most people in that unit or that team um, will give that new leader the benefit of the doubt, you know, as they try to um, get up to speed, Um, they'll give them uh, a kind of a buffer period where they can kind of learn the ropes, get to know their people. Um, but, But that does wear off over time. Uh, and, and so it's really important for, for leaders to start really from day one to start to develop those relationships. Um, I've seen so many times leaders who feel like they're entitled to the trust of their people. Um, and again, while, while people will give leaders benefit of the doubt for a while... Um, it's, it's leading by example that ultimately is the most powerful. And if there's inconsistencies between what they're saying versus what they're doing and what they're asking their people to do versus what they're doing, um, you erode any trust that might've already been there and you're certainly not developing relationships or building the trust that's going to be necessary for you to maximize your potential as a leader of those people. But also, you know, one of the greatest roles of a leader is to help their people maximize their own potential. Um, you know, the the greatest leaders in history um, didn't do it all themselves. They, nobody can do it all themselves. They, they catalyze the collective genius and the capacity of their people uh, that they work with. And if we're kind of stuck in our own head, we either through self-limiting kind of thinking, um, or we, we, we don't have the follow through because we can't kind of live out and and uh, behave in accordance with what we 're saying to our people uh, it really is going to have long term detrimental impacts and it 's one of the reasons why you know the the Peter principle is such a powerful um, thing uh, you know and I, I constantly uh, when I think of the peter principle the, the picture that like the person that comes up in my brain is Michael Scott from the office yeah. um, and, and I think, wow, he's a really great example of that. But we see it around us all the time. And it's not because people aren't well-intentioned uh, or because they're not trying or because they're not ethical or whatever. It's just people end up finding themselves in situations where there's not great fit. Uh, they find themselves in situations where they're not willing to kind of tackle that learning curve of leadership versus, you know, whatever their area of specialty might have been prior to the, that new role. And ultimately it just causes problems.
1: Do you see that often in your own consulting and teaching that people don't realize that kind of one of those key attributes to strong leadership is being able to prepare the next generation to take over?
0: You know, I, I think most people know that they're supposed to say that. Yeah. um, But I don't think that most do the things that they need to do consistently um, to make it happen. Um, And so I, I, theoretically in the abstract, they, they recognize that's really important, but that takes a lot of time and attention and energy. And, and again, like I was saying earlier, so many people just kind of get stuck in the daily grind of just doing, you know, going to the meetings and doing all the things, you know, putting out the fires, all the, the nitty gritty things that do need to happen. Um, And at the end of the day, maybe their, their mental, physical reservoir of energy is kind of depleted and, you know, well-intentioned people just end up, don't doing it. They just end up not doing it. Um, And, you know, I, I I think you, you end up seeing in a lot of organizations where there's not great succession planning and there's even less um, uh, leadership development practice that actually goes into place. That's my experience. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I've seen similar and I always talk to my students and peers and ask them that same question, not to put you on the spot with it, but I wanted to think about your own kind of experience with that. Because I think, like you said, a lot of people know that they have to say that if they're in that kind of formal quote unquote leadership role at work and that they should be allocating time to develop those on their team and giving them stretch opportunities and kind of walking through all of those different of development activities, but yet it always astounds me about how so many people will say they know they know they need to do it, but yet they never dedicate the time to actually doing it and what their turnover rates may look like because of that compared to others and thinking about some of that tenure and succession and, and some of that kind of HR world, if you will. But like I said, it's always just so interesting about how people will take time to develop themselves and whether they practice what they've learned or walk away from it and do nothing. Um, Even those people who decide to practice and get better as leaders, how many of them actually turn around and try to do the same for those under them. And it's, if you could do a study and understand the percentages of that, it would be just so interesting to see how minute that number would be, because it, it feels like people do not prioritize that whatsoever, which is shocking. But I think that's where it comes back down to the individual too, to say, Hey, I need to develop, whether this person above me is going to help me or not, or whether my organization is going to help me or not. And I think sometimes people rely too heavily on their employer or HR or their manager to give them that permission to develop when they don't necessarily see that as kind of their own kind of area for initiative and moving forward too. So I think about my own conversations with people about that and, whether it relates to leaders or individual contributors looking to move up or or just developing their own expertise. So it's always interesting to kind of hear some of the feedback and thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. And it really does go both ways. I mean, a a good leader, a good organization should be putting in that effort (laughs) to develop the next generation. Um, But obviously we can't, as individuals, we can't bank on that (laughs) Um, because not everyone does it so well. And so it's really a privilege when you're working with someone who sees your potential, who helps develop, helps you develop, helps mentor you, coach you, helps provide stretch opportunities. Um, My experience has been that's, that's uh, not as common as I would have hoped. So, so I have to take that responsibility for myself as well. And for anyone listening, you know, just recognize though, when you're in a leadership role, it really does, I I know it's, it takes time. I know it takes a lot of energy. Uh, I know it's easier not to do it at least easier in the short run not to do it. Um, but in the long run, it'll pay huge dividends, uh, for your team, for your organization. Uh, if, if you put that effort into it. Well, Catherine, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. The time has flown by. Uh, we're about out of time. Um, I did want to, before we close, I wanted to make sure I gave you a chance to share with listeners how they can get in touch with you, get connected, uh, find find your TED Talk, your book, uh, and anything else you'd like to share as you give the last word.
1: Sure. So I am on LinkedIn at Catherine, and the last name is Rimsha R-Y-M-S-H-A. My book is on Apple Books, uh, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. And again, it's called The Leadership Decision. And my TED Talk, you can just search for my name in TEDx, and it will pop up right on YouTube. And you can learn more about how to be a better listener as a leader. And hopefully you find that of value closing out 2020, what a year, and making a New Year's resolution for 2021 and getting better at that ability
0: yeah thank you thank you so much I really encourage listeners to reach out get connected with Catherine check out the book um, see what she can do for you uh, and how she might be able to help you in your organization and as always I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day and I hope you all have a great week